Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and on this week's podcast we... Wait, oh, oh, wait a second. Wait, uh, oh, look, uh, let's, let's stop a second. Um, there's another less skilled dumber podcast uh breaking out just outside my office and and for some reason everyone is more interested in in that one you know what eric let's just stop our podcast let's go to our respective corners yeah Uh, let's just let let that one play out um oh oh wait no looks like it's over one of the podcasters has stormed out with their entourage Uh, apparently podcasters can have entourages uh, uh anyway time in where was i <laughs> uh, I, I believe you were welcoming everyone to the ah, podcast yes. right but uh man i hate when that happens all too often we get interrupted by these spontaneous side podcasts uh, but yeah if, if anyone is confused kieran was satirizing the fracas in the crowd on saturday night uh that actually caused the boxing match in the ring to stop for a bit yeah. you you often see the fans turn their attention to a secondary fight I don't think I've ever seen the boxers stop to watch it. Uh, but uh, but this one, it was apparently the rapper Meek Mill and his entourage getting into it with various Gary Russells. Um, I, I saw the boss man, Stephen Espinoza, right there in the action. Um, now, I identified Stephen and the Russells myself, but in a clear display of my whiteness and washedness, <laughs> I needed the internet to tell me the entourage that was escorted out belonged to Meek Mill. I know of Meek Mill. I know he's from Philly and he was in prison at one time. That's all I know about him. I couldn't tell you what he looks like. Lord knows I couldn't name one of his songs. Uh, I mean, if the drummer from Toad the Wet Sprocket gets into a shouting match at ringside, I'm your guy. I'll provide his bio. But anyway, thankfully, no punches were exchanged. It was resolved. The fight in the ring resumed, and uh, I guess we can resume our podcast now that the dumber podcast, as you described it, has been cut off. By the way, big ups again to the big boss man, who is not afraid to actually be the peacemaker and get in the middle of these these contretemps ringside. He did it a while back. Was it one of the Charlos and David Benavides or something like that? Didn't that go down ringside? And Stephen was there in the middle too. I think he sees an investment possibly going up in smoke and he's... (laughs) He's, he's off, yeah. All right. Uh, this week on The Real Podcast, uh, we have a terrific interview. Uh, we think you're really going to enjoy. Uh, we had the pleasure of sitting down with fellow Showtime podcaster, host of the new boxing video series Fight Towns, and former NBA champion Stephen Jackson, talking boxing, podcasting, food, and more. Uh, we will also play around at the fight game. But I try to equal Eric's stunning score of two last week. (laughs) We'll discuss news spanning everyone from Manny Pacquiao to Amanda Serrano to Jake Paul. And Eric will give me my next top five assignment. But first, to Washington, D.C., where, yes, there were also fights in the ring, in addition to whatever was going on ringside. And in the main event of a four-fight Showtime pay-per-view card, Javante Tank Davis ultimately delivered for the sellout crowd of 19,731 fans at Capital One Arena. Yeah, Davis scored his 26th KO among 28 wins without a loss when Hector Garcia did not come out of his corner for the ninth round. Tank's power and skill in delivering that power once again proving too much for an opponent who, at least for a little while, was providing stiff competition. This lightweight bout was mostly a cautious boxing match in the early rounds, but Garcia started letting Davis get close in round four and the pace picked up in spots, building toward an eighth round that was 
just about as eventful as three minutes of boxing uh, spread across about five minutes of real time uh, can get. Uh, Davis and Garcia were exchanging early in the round. And when the aforementioned distraction with Meek Mill and the Russells bubbled up, uh, both boxers stopped. Uh, Ref Earl Brown called time. Once that situation was resolved and people had been escorted from the building, Davis started landing his best power shots of the fight, including a left hand to the side of the head that made Garcia's knees dip and apparently disturbed his vision in his right eye. Uh, Garcia gutted out the round and didn't go down, but when he went back to his corner, he told them he couldn't see, and the fight was stopped when the bell rang to begin the ninth. Garcia suffers his first loss. He's now 16-1, and 10 KOs. And Davis celebrated with a spectacular top rope backflip. Kieran, no denying the quality of that backflip, uh, but assess the quality of the boxing performance. What impressed you about Tank? What didn't? What did you think of Garcia's effort? And do you agree with me that the scores of 79-73 twice and 78-74 were unreasonably wide? Um, to take the last point first, not that it matters in the grand scheme of things, right. but yeah, I did think the scores were too wide. Uh, through A, I had the same score as Steve Farhood, although he and I disagreed on two rounds, which was to give Tank Davis a, a point lead. Uh, like him, even though I hate to do it, I did give that first score that first round to draw because nobody did a thing. Um, I normally hate doing that. And then had Davis leading, you know, four, three out of the subsequent seven. But um, even though it was at an unreasonably late hour, even for a pay-per-view, uh, I, I I enjoyed the fight. I, I thought it showed a high level of skill on the part of both men. I, I thought Garcia was doing a pretty solid job, at least early, of, of attempting to keep the fight at the range he wanted, of, of being at a kind of half range, keeping Davis at a bit of distance, while still being in the position to land some good hard shots. I, I thought he was doing a very good job, especially with his jab to the body, uh, which he often followed with, with a jab right upstairs. Mm. And he found a home for the, for the left hand too. Um, he proved, I think, that he belonged in that ring, as, as you and I knew that he did. And also I think that he's a genuine match for most folks at 130 or 135. Um, Although, you know, obviously being forced to retire on a stall in that situation is really good for a boxer's confidence. Um, a quick side note, by the way, can we once again give it up for boxers? The guy was yes. temporarily somewhat blinded or at least vision impaired in his right eye. Imagine that being an undesirable but not entirely unusual consequence of doing your damn job. I mean, these people are remarkable, and I think yeah. it's important to remember that. Um, the, the problem that he had is that Davis is on another level. Uh, he, he doesn't throw a lot of punches, but he's extraordinarily accurate and effective with the ones he does throw. Um, to outland Garcia so comprehensively as he ultimately did, despite throwing so little for three rounds, is remarkable. Uh, he's so smart. And so relaxed in the ring. He's so focused. Um, he has such good balance and such fast hands that, that when he does let his hands go, he does it with tremendous effectiveness, uh, as he proved again on Saturday night. I, I think it's how calm he is in the ring that most impresses me with Tank. He, he takes his time to figure everything out. He sees gaps. He finds ways to steer opponents into the right punch. He tests to see what works and what doesn't and what he can get away with. And then when he has everything that he needs or the info that he needs, he just steps it up another gear. Um, you know, say what you want about him outside the ring. And I totally understand if you feel he shouldn't have been in that ring or if you were uncomfortable with his being cheered by fans just days after he was arrested for an alleged domestic assault. But inside the ring... I think Tank is a sight to behold. Uh, 
as a fighter, I, I feel like I'm more impressed with him in every outing. There's something about him that I see uh, that maybe I hadn't noticed before. This wasn't his best performance. And yes, Garcia was a good opponent and a worthy opponent, but also one who was handpicked to put on a good show, but not prevent Davis from facing the other Garcia. Right. But Davis is clearly, in my mind, a pound for pound talent. And I think he showed that again on Saturday night. Uh, or do you disagree? I mean, what do you think? Did, what did you think of his performance? And are there any takeaways that you had that are relevant to that plan next fight against the other Garcia, Ryan Garcia? Well, this performance really was was classic tank. Uh, you know, no no urgency early on, maybe losing some rounds, maybe falling behind, and never seeming to doubt for a second that he's going to knock his opponent yeah. out eventually. His faith in what he can do, and Calvin Ford's faith as well in, in what he can yeah. do, it's unwavering. And so far, that hasn't backfired on them at all. They, they've gotten the knockout when they've needed it. Uh, full disclosure, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, how late this started. I didn't watch this fight till Sunday morning. The, the opening bell rang at 12.58 a.m. <laughs> I, I made it through the whole undercard, but even after a two-nap Saturday, I couldn't make it to the finish line. This sport, man. Um, and by the way, one other weird observation to note before I get back to the fight. Gervonta came into the ring carrying some police tape. Did you notice that? I didn't. Yeah, he had he had police tape in his glove and sort of stringing behind him. I assume he was trying to be funny. I'm not Ugh. sure how I feel about it. He had the, the big smile on his face. Eddie, I missed that. Yeah, completely. it's it's yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I'm a little mixed. Like, yeah, there's there was a, something almost a hint clever about it, but still, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I, whatever he was going for there, I don't think it was worth it. But anyway, uh, back to the fight. Um, I gave Hector Garcia each of the first three rounds, um, and then I gave him one more later on. So I actually had it 76-76 through eight, um, but I, like Tank, never wavered in my assumption that a KO was coming. Um, I thought Garcia fought well, and like you said, proved he belonged. I thought he made a big tactical error starting in the fourth round, letting Tank just walk inside. Tank Mm -hmm. didn't even have to jab his way in. Uh, Garcia just kind of opened the door and and decided to trade and and stand in the pocket here and there. And that was a mistake. He should have kept jabbing and trying his best to keep the fight at distance. But ultimately, he probably wasn't finding a way to win. Certainly not with these judges had it gone the distance. Mm. But also, he couldn't hurt Javante. Javante was totally unbothered by Garcia's punches. Um, But my big takeaway for Tank is that this is a guy who handles chaos and distraction about as well as any boxer possibly could. Uh, The the Meek Mill thing, it's actually relevant here, you know? Um, And Tank also seemed distracted in the corner between rounds a couple of times. He had his momentum interrupted in round eight. No biggie. He compartmentalizes and... He rolls with the chaos. <laughs> you can distract him, but you can't really knock him off course, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, look, he ultimately landed 53% of his power punches, according to CompuBox. And Hector Garcia is a, a very good boxer, a, a southpaw, defensively sound. 53%. That speaks yeah. to the skill of Tank Davis. And if he lands 53% of his power shots against you or outlands you 30-3 to three in a round, as he did in the eighth, I don't know if there's a lightweight out there who can take that. Um, But you asked about Ryan Garcia. Now, he's not quite a lightweight anymore. He's a slightly bigger guy. He's still in big trouble if Tank is landing 53% of his power shots against him. Uh, But the big difference in the two Garcias is that I 
don't think Tank can just confidently march forward knowing Ryan's punches won't hurt him. Um, in the end, I, I don't think this fight made Tank any more or less prepared for the style and skills of Ryan Garcia, but he won't be rusty at all. That's good for him. And I think it helps with the promotion, you know, for Tank to get his name out there, draw almost 20,000 fans. It makes their fight that little bit bigger. Now he just needs to escape his court appointment without suffering any knockdowns. And uh, and we'll have this super fight, hopefully in like April, fingers crossed. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, if it happens, it's going to be fascinating. Look, I, I have very similar thoughts to what Tim Bradley said the other week that I think that Davis is fundamentally a far better boxer mm-hmm. than Ryan Garcia. But styles make fights. Davis has the better footwork, the better boxing brain, I think. And I think that's the real key to Javante. Um, He's got more strings to his bow, but Garcia has those fast hands. He throws a lot and he throws straight punches and he's going to have a big height and reach advantage. Um, Yeah, if it happens, and as you alluded to, given Tank's legal issues, there's no guarantee it will. It does promise to be a fascinating clash. Um, Let's talk about the undercard. Uh, let's do things a little differently than usual. Um, let's combine the co-feature and the opener into one conversation, since they play out very similarly. Uh, in the co-feature, unbeaten welterweight Jerron Boots Ennis won every single round, as he does, uh, <laughs> against Karan Chukotjan, uh, prevailing 120-108 on all cards. Uh, he was taken past the sixth round, and indeed the full 12, for the first time in his career. Ennis is now... 30-0 with 27 KOs. Chukadzian falls to 21-2 with 11 KOs. And opening the pay-per-view telecast, undefeated super middleweight Demetrius Andrade was similarly dominant against Demond Nicholson, scoring knockdowns in the second and tenth rounds to win the scheduled 10-rounder by unanimous scores of 100-88. to Andrade is now 32-0 with 19 KOs, and Nicholson's record now stands at 26-5-1 with 22 KOs. Both fans, both fights, excuse me, left fans unsatisfied. Although the two victors are not necessarily graded on the same curve, and the styles of their opponents are certainly different. Uh, Eric, how are you feeling about both Ennis and Andrade coming off these shutout wins? Uh, and for Boots in particular, was it actually a good thing, ultimately, that he couldn't get Chukadjan out of there? Uh, yeah, that, that last question first, absolutely. Um this doesn't do Boots's marketability any favors, but it was the best thing for his development, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, if if you told your buddy, come over for the pay-per-view, you got to see Boots Ennis in the co-feature, yes. he's the best young fighter in the game, your buddy probably went home disappointed. Uh, like, Boots didn't build his fan base on Saturday night. But if he gets a date with, say, Errol Spence in the near future he will be better off having gone yep. through this, having gone 12 rounds, proving to himself that he can go 12 without getting tired. And he definitely did not get tired. He, he's always in great shape. He looked like he could have gone another 12. Um, still, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed that Ennis didn't knock Chikajin out uh, or even down. Chikajin is a decent fighter, you know, got to give him that. You, you could tell from the very start he was bouncing on his toes. He had good upper and lower body movement had the basic skills, could land the occasional clean punch, and did. He was quite possibly Boots' best pro opponent. But his commendable performance early became less commendable as the fight wore on, and he he really seemed his whole goal was just to last the distance. I saw a tweet Sunday morning from fellow Philly fighter Julian Williams, J-Rock, saying, The toughest style to look good against is a defensive mover who won't engage. Teofimo Lopez just struggled with that style. Mm -hmm. Some think he lost. 
Boots dominated that same style every second and got valuable experience. People complain. Roger Mayweather was right. Uh, clearly, he's referencing uh, <laughs> Uncle Roger's famous complaint that people don't know shit about boxing. But that is a biased pro boot spin probably coming there from uh, J-Rock. It, it's hard for me to be quite as positive about this showing as he is. But there's also not a ton to criticize in how Boots fought. Yeah. And maybe there's the added benefit of top welterweights being a little less reluctant to fight him now. Yep. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, as for Andrade, he's not 25. He's 34, and this wasn't a taken-the-distance-for-the-first-time situation. This was what always happens. Come out, look like you're going to knock out an overmatched guy, go the distance. Uh, which actually opened the door for a nice in-game betting win for me. Uh, Andrade was minus 135 to win a decision before the fight, and that dropped to plus 105 after the opening round, as apparently the odds makers thought he'd get the KO. But I knew better, uh, so uh, I won. I won me a pizza betting it after round one. Nicholson was a, a different style of opponent than Chukajan. He he was more willing to engage. Andrade hurt him a few times, but didn't get him out of there. The CompuBox numbers for these two fights were actually fairly similar in that they were both completely one-sided. Uh, Boots outlanded his opponent 203 to 97. Boo Boo Andrade outlanded his 145 to 28. Uh, Boots won the body shot battle in his fight 88 to 11. Andrade won his body shot battle 45 to 1. So the fights seem very similar, but yeah, we, we, we do have to grade them differently because of each fighter's history. This certainly was not the Showtime re-debut that Andrade was dreaming of or that Showtime and PBC were dreaming of. Uh, what did you think, particularly uh, of Boots? Uh, are you any less convinced he's the next big thing after watching these 12 rounds? No, no, not at all. I mean, it is a good um, sort of reality check for those of us who've been chirping about how Boots is ready right now for Crawford or Spence. Um, it's a good reminder that he still isn't quite the finished article. But and, and this is to some extent what happens when you don't have that many rounds under your belt because you keep knocking people out, and yet you fight just one and a half rounds in 18 months. Um, right. We talked last week about how Boots needs to be more active, and this is why, right? Don't wait for things to fall into your lap. Just fight. Fight a lot. Build up your name, develop an audience, uh, gain some fans, earn some money. And along the way, keep facing different styles who pose those different challenges and gather more experience as you go. And it will serve you well when the time does come. I would have liked to have seen him be able to go to the body earlier than he did. Uh, it's a little disconcerting that after he appeared to have Chikachian ready to go in round 10, um, Chikachian came back and had one of his better rounds of the night. But, you know, to follow up from what you said and, and that tweet of J-Rock, we're giving Ennis a grief for winning every round on every scorecard against yeah. the guy who turned out to be better than a lot of us gave him credit for, including me, and who, as you said, was only able to survive as long as he did and make the statement he did because for the second half of the fight, at least he made absolutely no effort to actually win the fight himself. Yeah. Um, this was a valuable learning experience for Ennis, and just about every fighter has a night or two like this on his or her way to the top. Just about all of them. Yeah. Ennis will be fine. Uh, All right, uh, we saved the best fight of the night for last. Uh, Certainly the fight with the most dramatic finish. The 12-rounder between welterweight Speedy Rashidi Ellis and Roman Villa. I pushed back last week on on the idea that this was a tough fight to call. Turns out you were right, Kieran, to view it as a highly competitive bout. uh, And in fact, somewhat controversially, an upset was sprung. Ellis seemed to control most, if not all, of the early rounds with his slickness and quickness. 
But Villa came on starting in round seven, had a big ninth round. Ellis was slowing a little. I still had him comfortably ahead entering the 12th. The judges did not, though. For them, the fight was on the table with Ellis up by a single point on two cards. And we got a sensational final two minutes as Villa dropped Ellis with an almost Frazier Ali-like left hook. And with just a second or two left on the clock, he knocked Ellis into the ropes for another knockdown, earning a 10-7 round. One judge had it 113-113, a draw. The other two favored Villa, 114-112, as the hard-punching Colombian took a majority decision to advance to 26-1 with 24 knockouts, and Ellis suffered his first loss. He's now 24-1 with 15 stoppages. Kieran, your analysis of this fight in two halves, and uh, am I safe to assume you'd be on board with a rematch? Oh, I'd be more than fine with a rematch, Um, even though after five rounds, I was honestly feeling pretty bored, Mm. and I was getting a bit worried about the card, honestly, because through 15 rounds of action, (laughs) um, we'd had uh, the the, the A-side winning all of them. Um, I almost DM'd you to say that I was wrong about it being a competitive fight. (laughs) but, you know, Villa, even as he was being uh, outlanded and outboxed, he never had the look of someone who thought he was in trouble or looked as if he didn't have a plan. My concern was that that plan wasn't good enough and that it was all very well feeling you were going to reel your guy in, but you need to do something to make that happen. Um, it didn't look at first as if he was, was doing that, but he did keep coming forward. He kept stalking. Um, he did have that look, like I said, of somebody who felt that it was just going to be a matter of time. I-, I wonder, you know, we talked about Boots Ennis being inactive and we talked obviously about how Rashidi Ellis had been super inactive. And you wonder if not having a fight for two and a half years or whatever it was, you can be in great shape. Um, and he's clearly a phenomenal athlete, Rashidi Ellis. But that's not the same as being in boxing shape. And I mm. wonder how much that played a role ultimately in him just not quite being able to keep Via off him in those closing rounds. Uh, but also, you know, want to give credit to Via who who did keep coming. And look, when the finish is in doubt, when your corner tells you to go out and finish the job, you want a fighter who does what Via did. And I, like you, thought that Ellis had done just enough to nick it. But I will admit, I have checked out in the middle rounds um, when it looked as if Ellis was just going to jab his way to to an easy victory and before, you know, Villa really got going. So it would have, it's entirely possible that he got an extra couple of rounds in there that I didn't give him credit for. And it also would have been rough to deny Villa after that storming finish. Um, uh, what about you? Any analysis to add from your side? Well, I'll start with the, the 12th round. What a, what a great dramatic finish. And, and it would have been even better if the judges had been a little less friendly to Via and he needed a 10-7 for a draw, right. that would have been one of those things where, in retrospect, it would have added additional drama to know that the 10-7 made all the difference uh, in getting him a draw. I can see giving him six rounds to get to 114-112, but that is giving him every single round that's up for debate. So I felt like Ellis got the slightly short end of the stick, even if I won't quite deem this a robbery. But... I think a draw may have been the best possible result here, mm. the fairest. Um, anyway, Ellis, he's so slick. He has a tremendous jab. He was boxing really well the first half of the fight, but th- there was a sense, having seen Via on Showbox, that he was lurking, that he was always yeah. dangerous. I-, I was 
sitting up and sitting forward throughout this. Even when I had Ellis leading 60 to 54 at the halfway mark, I wasn't quite falling into the uh, the boredom uh, situation that, that you were in. I just sort of had a feeling like the, the fight wasn't quite over yet. Um, you mentioned uh, Ellis's time off. Uh, that's a good observation that even though the ring rust didn't show up as ring rust the first half of the fight, maybe it showed up in the form of his stamina being just a tick below where it could have been, mm. or maybe not. Maybe Via's pressure just wears a guy down a little bit. Yep. Uh, Via was landing some good body shots. It makes sense that Ellis was running out of steam, but then I actually thought Via was the one running out of steam in the 11th. I, I thought Ellis won that mm. round which on my scorecard pretty much clinched the fight barring a knockout. Um, I think Via was at least catching a breather in the 11th. Uh, I should uh, throw out some praise for ref Brent Bovell for, for calling that second knockdown that some referees may yes. have seen it differently. And that was a correct call, but um, yeah, outstanding fight, tremendous matchmaking in the end. Didn't seem that way at the midway point, but in the end it was controversial ending. So uh Count me in for a rematch ASAP. Um, so after all that, we complete the first fight card of the year tied in our picks competition. Uh, neither of us got the round of the Gervonta KO correct. We each got two points for that. We both picked Boots KO four and got one point apiece. We both called the Andrade unanimous decision, earning three points. And the judges arguably screwed you out of a point or two on the VIA decision since I had Ellis KO 11 and you had Ellis by unanimous decision. But we each get a zero for that, meaning we are tied at six apiece. Yeah, and the way that fight ended, I'm not even mad about being okay. like gypped out, <laughs> gypped out of that. We'll, is, we'll, we'll see if you're mad at the end of the yeah. year. <laughs> I have a ready-made excuse just in case. Okay. Already. Yes. <laughs> One fight card in. The excuses are piling up. Uh, let's move on now to this week's guest. And we are thrilled to welcome a fellow member of the Showtime family. His NBA career included winning the title in 2003 with the San Antonio Spurs. And since retiring, he has segued effortlessly into a career of podcasting and now broadcasting. He is co-host of the award-winning All the Smoke and is now host of the new Showtime digital series, Fight Towns. Stephen Jackson, welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Oh, man, honored to be uh, here with you guys. Um, not only as a guest, but, you know, I've, I've watched your show. And um, your your knowledge on boxing and sports is something that uh, it's been helping me as, as I segue along, too. So I appreciate you guys as well. Oh, thank you. Oh, really appreciate that. So, uh, so Kieran and I watched the the first episode of Fight Towns and and really enjoyed it. Uh, and not only because the two of us made a brief cameo interviewing Terrence Crawford. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so you started with uh, my hometown of Philly, and uh, and by hometown, I mean the big tough city closest to the little soft suburb where I grew up. Um, but <laughs> my, here's my question for you, Stephen. Why Philly? And was Philly an easy choice for you to kick off the series with? Well, uh, a number of reasons. Um, I'm Muslim and I took my Shahada in Philly. Um, so that, that has a lot to do with it. Philly has a, a big Muslim culture there. So I'm in Philly a lot. Um, I fell in love with Boots just um, as a fan of boxing. And I grew to, I grew to become a, uh, build a friendship with him and his family. And um uh, I've been out there a couple of times where I just hanging out, man. We've um, went to eat and uh, spent some time together. But this time was different because I was able to get in the gym and see why he's so great, why people are dodging him. 
and um, how he works, how hard he works. You know, people watch the sport, but they don't understand some of these guys fight twice a year, but they keep their body in shape all year round. They can't fall off. And, and, and to see his dedication, uh, to see his passion, and also to see, you know, his family lineage of boxing, it, it shows why he's why he's the best in, uh, in boxing right now because he's taken a little bit from all his brothers and his father, you know, to be the boxer he is today. And I'll go to Cool Boy, Cool Boy Steffa. I think the whole time when I was um, going from city to city and state to state, representing for my brother George Floyd, Cool Boy wanted me to come down. Stephen Fulton wanted me to come down and um, host something at his restaurant. He has a crab spot in Philly, which the crabs are unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I went down and actually I was supposed to fly to Philly, but I couldn't get a flight. They wanted me to come so bad. They drove to LaGuardia and picked me up and, oh. drove, back, and drove me back to mm. Philly. That's, that's, that's how good, that's good of a, a guy uh, Steven and, and his trainer is. And um, we built a relationship off that, you know, and then um, it was good to see after that, you know, him, him becoming undisputed and him being uh, the champion he is now in, in his division. But um, it's good to say that I built relationships with these guys outside of boxing. And now that I'm in this space, it's, 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 it's been a blessing because the relationship I have is easy for these guys to accept me in this space. And I've been honored. Okay, so it was, it was more about those two fighters made Philly the, the right place to start with rather than something necessarily a, a, about the, the fight city, it, it seems, was the more driving factor. I'm, I'm curious, uh, don't know if you're allowed to uh, reveal anything about what's upcoming, but can you, can you share any teasers, spoilers on other cities that, uh, that Fight Towns is going to go to? Yeah, well, let, well, let me say this. Uh, Philly was definitely the first city we chose for a number of reasons. You know, Danny Garcia and the way the, the boxers in Philly all support each other was a big thing for us to go down there and support that first because it's a big boxing city. Um, we definitely have D.C. coming. Uh, we have Houston. We have Texas coming. You know, I, I'm, I'm from Texas. Being from Texas, I have a great relationship with the Charlos and Errol Spence. Um, I have those guys coming. And we're also going to, to Phoenix, get Benavidez and, uh, and, and his family. They have a great boxing family as well. So um, we even plan on going to uh, Europe, Anthony Joshua, London. We, we, we plan on moving around because there's boxers everywhere. A lot of great boxers that people want to know their stories. You know, they see them walking to the ring, they see the people around them, but they don't know the stories, where they come from, who 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 did they look up to as boxers? You know, who's the worst the first time they got in a fight? You know, all these things that me as a fan of boxing, I want to know. And also being an athlete, I kind of know what questions people want to ask. And, and I just got to say, you mentioning uh, you being from Texas, uh, I got to give you a lot of credit. It, it takes a lot of nerve to uh, admit very loudly to being a Cowboys fan while sitting in a Philly barbershop. <laughs> and, you know, I knew I was in hostile territory, but, that, but, but that's just the way it goes with the Eagles and, and, and Cowboys. You know what I mean? It, it, it's never fair ground. Somebody's going to be uh, out of bounds at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you mentioned Boots, and full disclosure, this interview is taking place before his fight on Saturday, but it's going to post afterward. Um, it's no disrespect to his opponent that we're reasonably confident he'll Boots will still be undefeated afterwards. Um, I wonder if you can give us your assessment of him. You've already hinted at it. Uh, as a boxer and as a person, and, and how important is his character to the success that he's had so far? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I think his character is the biggest thing. <laughs> You know, being able to spend time with him and see how hard he works. Before I was in the gym with him, he was in the gym 
him and him and his uh ish, the guy that's also on the show that cooks at the restaurant, they were in the gym at one in the morning. They had already <laughs> ran during the day and they were back in the gym at one in the morning. And his dedication shows because he'll work out for two, three hours and he'll train everybody else in the gym. Like, and I, I, I spoke on that on, on, on the show. It, it's just amazing how he works as hard as he does. And immediately he spends time to try to make everybody else better. And, and, and that's the character of Boots. You know, he knows he, he he's the A1 fighter in the gym. Everybody's there watching him. But also he takes the time to, to, to humanize himself and help other guys. And uh, the, his dad had boxed eight rounds the day before. So this family's different. This this family's different. Mm. And um, I, I definitely admire the way they support each other, but also the way they support other boxers that's not in their family. Mm. So so how long uh, have you been a boxing fan, Stephen? And, and who or what first got you into the sport? Um, Believe it or not, I fell in love with boxing because of Prince Nassim Ahmed. All right. Mm. Yeah, I, I fell in love with the Prince. He was just so entertaining, man. The angles, the punches, the way he weaved, um, the, his celebrations. You know, he was really the one, the first one to, to do the antics and, and the ring walks the right way. You know, I remember he was getting carried in like a genie a couple of times. He used to flip in the <laughs> ring. He was real flamboyant. and um, But he was good as well. He was a good boxer as well. And uh, I think once I started watching that, you know, I'm a Sweet Pea fan. I think Roy Jones was probably one of my favorite. Um, I even like watching Augustus fight, not because he was just good, but just the just the risk he took. Every yeah. every 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 round he took risk, and um, it 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 was interesting to see. But uh, I would have to say uh, Prince, the Prince, and uh, Roy Jones were my guys who made me fall in love with boxing. There's there's definitely a common thread between all the guys that you mentioned there, including Augustus and and Pernell Whitaker and all the very unorthodox, especially athletic, did things a little differently, all, all those guys. That's that's obviously something that stands out to you. Yeah, uh, guys that don't look as the normal boxer, you know, the the, the standard boxer just stand there. And, you know, these, <laughs> these guys, they're entertaining. And a lot of their skill came from athleticism and just having it. You know, a lot, a lot of these boxers have some something that you can't teach, especially guys like Javante and Boots. These guys have something you can't teach. And a lot of, a lot of it is... is deep down inside, you know, to be able to take a punch, be shaken and not show it and want to fight. All these things that I've been watching over the years doing, doing boxes that I admire from them, a lot of it you can't teach. It's, it's automatically inside of them. And uh, the cream of the crop rises when you see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So athletes know athletes, right? Like you guys know what it takes to work and get to the very top of, of your different professions. And you already talked about this a little bit in this, this conversation, but you also mentioned it a couple of times in the show, how impressed you are with the fact that boxers are able to keep themselves in great condition to peak twice a year compared to what you guys would do in the NBA. And I wonder as an athlete, if you can talk a little bit more to that. Yeah, I think that's another reason why I admire boxers and why I admire the sport so much because you know, you play 82 games a year. It makes sense to take care of your body, you know, all year round because you're playing 82 games, six, seven-month seasons. You're fighting an hour and a half, twice a year. Like, but you got to eat right off. You got to work out. You got to stay in shape because you never know when you get that call. And that's what Boost was explaining to me. You know, um, and there's no secret why guys that be at the top of boxing are who they are because they dedicate their life to it. You know, and, and then from being around boxing for, for a couple of years now, 
you can see the guys who dedicate themselves and you can see the guys who don't. Even with Tank Davis, I'll give you a perfect example. He made a switch after the Gamboa fight. He started training more serious. Mm-hmm. And, and you've been able to see that in his fights, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's been taking it more, even if and even his, his trainer's been saying he, he's taking it more serious since the Gamboa fight. When guys have that talent, like Tank, but they're willing to lock in and give up everything to be great at it, it shows. And and that's what I admire because, you know, you got the money, you got the lifestyle. These guys are young. They want to be flashy. They want to do these things. They want to enjoy life, you know? And to put all that on the back burner, to be great at something, I, I, I just admire that because I know I know a lot of people that don't dedicate themselves to be great because they fall complacent. And you have a lot of boxers that make a lot of money early and they can easily start be showing up overweight, missing weight and, and not taking care of their body. So I admire the fact that they might not even fight twice a year and they still dedicate their, their, their bodies to this sport. So for me, anytime you can dedicate, like, yeah, like you said, me, me being an NBA champion, I know what it took for me to get that one championship in 14 years of playing basketball. You know what I mean? And I dedicated 14 years, but I only got one championship. So I know what it takes to be great. And for these guys to do it every year at a young age, I admire that. Mm. And you mentioned also in the show something to the effect of, you know, you're in difficulty on the court. You got a teammate to pass to. These guys don't have anything like that. And, and I'm curious if, if it's your sense that other athletes also generally, when they look at boxers, they think, yeah, these guys are something special. Yeah. And, you know, you got to dig deep, you know, to 12 rounds, somebody trying to take your head off. You got to defend yourself, breathe, focus, stay calm. Like it's more to it than just punching a guy, you know, and you, and you have to be around the round boxing to, to, to understand that. But just the, the composure part of it is something I'm impressed with. Somebody's trying to knock your head off, but you got to keep your composure. Yeah. You have to breathe like all, all it's, it's more than, you know, you might be by yourself but you have 10 different things going on in your mind besides dodging punches from a guy, right? You got to make sure you're breathing. You got to make sure, you know what I'm saying? You listen to your corner. You got to, it's so much going on and you have a team, but you're the only one performing. Hmm. And that's the hardest part. Everybody's depending on you to perform the way they all would if they were in the ring. And, Hmm. and, And for me, like I said, I say this all the time, the most respected thing for me to see, and it's what I've seen with Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather start, fought um, Shane Mosley. He got rocked twice. Yeah. And we've never seen him, and he got rocked good. But he kept his composure to come out and win every round after that, right? So yeah. I, I admire that because in the NBA, a guy get, gets fouled hard, and he's getting the tech ready to fight and get kicked out the game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In basketball. <laughs> But you have to, guys trying to punch and knock your head off for 12 rounds. You have to keep your composure to do that and not be tired after. That's that that's athletes to me. That that that's some of the best athletes to me. I think boxers are definitely the best athletes. Hmm. All right. I, I have a different kind of uh, boxing basketball crossover question for you here. Right. Uh, during your playing days, name the last guy in the NBA that you'd have wanted to get into a fight with. Last guy I would probably want to fight Charles Oakley. Okay, <laughs> I've I've heard stories about him. He was a, he was a bad man, huh? Yeah, it was Charles Oakley, and uh, I would also go Danny Forces. 
Danny okay. Quartz was uh, was uh, uh, martial arts black belt. Oh, okay. And he was, he was also two hundred seventy five pounds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And 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 you were what like two ten, two twenty in your in your prime. <laughs> 220 with concrete in my shoes. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Those those sound like uh, good good guys to avoid. A martial arts black belt and uh, and Charles Oakley. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, look, as I mentioned in the in introduction, you've shifted seemingly effortlessly into this new career, and and I'm curious you know, what kind of challenges or surprises that you've faced as you've, as you've done that? It looks like an effortless transition. Has it been for you? Uh, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, it, I'm just willing to learn. You know, I, I, I come into everything I do with two, with, with two things in mind. One, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm going to work as hard as I can to make whoever gave me the opportunity proud. And two, I come in with understanding that I don't know everything and I'm willing to learn. You know, I, I sit with guys, I, 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 I sit with El Diamante, I, I, I sit with Luke and those guys, and, and I, just, I, just, I just listen because I want to mm -hmm. learn the sport. I'm still learning the sport. I'm still, I, even though I watch the sport and I have a lot of, I have a lot of uh, education in the sport, being around guys who actually done the sport and been yeah. around the 20 best years is what I want to be around because I want to be the best, you know, that I can be in the sport. And I want to make, you know, guys, when I'm on the show with guys like you, I'm, I am also, also, also want to make you guys look good. So. The thing for me, I think the reason why that I've, I've been embracing the boxers want to talk to me, guys, one, I'm close to a lot of these guys because, you know, I dress the same way. You know, a lot of these boxers, mm. you know, and they, they can relate to me. Mm. And and when I walk in into in, in rooms with guys like El Diamante and Lennox Lewis and Luke and those guys, you won't even know I'm in the room because I'm sitting there in awe. I'm around these champions, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting a chance to hear locker room talk from boxers yeah. that, you know, that you could never hear. Right. Yeah. And, and this is the game. This is, this, this is when I'm learning things about boxing that I, I wouldn't know. So I think the reason why I'm, I'm having success and, and the reason why Showtime is allowing me to do this is because I'm willing to learn. I know I don't know everything, but I take the time. I do my homework and um, you know, with the, with the show now with fight towns, I'm excited because I'm a fan of these guys. So not only do I have them on the show, but I'm getting to know them. And I think that 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 helps my my education in boxing. Yeah, okay. totally uh, off topic here, but uh, but you did mention uh, going out for uh, for crabs with Stephen Fulton. So uh, yeah. uh, that that that's an indication of how much you clearly love food. Uh, we wouldn't know it from your waist size, but uh, but but we saw on <laughs> Fight Towns uh, how passionate you are about eating. So I'm curious. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite food city in America as, or, or a favorite restaurant maybe that, that stands out to you? So I'm a professional eater, okay? <laughs> okay. I love to eat. I love to try different foods. Um, a city right now, I'll give you two because okay. I don't want to make any city mad because there's good food in every city. <laughs> and it's always a, the challenge, the best part is trying to find it. Because when you get there and, you, you know what I'm saying, you sit down and you enjoy it, like, oh, this is good. That's the best part, trying to find it. But I would go, the best food, I would go New Orleans, and San Francisco. Okay. San Francisco has great seafood. Um, and I think, you know, I'm a Southern boy. So Louisiana, you can't miss with all those spices and good stuff in Louisiana. All right. Final question for you, Stephen. It's still early enough in the new year to ask a 2023 wish list. What is the one boxing fight this year? 
that you want to happen and you want to see. Is this question rhetorical? <laughs> yeah, sure. We all know what we there want. There you go. Right? <laughs> we want to see Earl Spence and Bud. Of course, we want to see that fight. And you know what? If it never, if it doesn't happen, I wouldn't mind seeing Earl Spence and Boots at yeah. the end of the year. You know what I mean? But everybody wants to see that fight. Um, I respect these guys so much. I'm, I have a better relationship with Errol um, and Derek James. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with those guys, but that's the fight we all want to see. These two guys are, 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 are the best around right now. Um, a lot of talk has, has been talked between those two. We thought we was going to see the fight, and we didn't see it. But that's the, really the only fight we want to see. And if, we, if it's another fight that's bigger than that on my wish list, I would go Garcia Davis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Hey, listen, man. It's been great. I've really, really enjoyed this. Um, I love your accent, too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, know actually... I, I know you didn't have no problem with the ladies with that. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually from Arkansas. I just put this accent on. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> It's unfortunate for me. Nobody, nobody thinks of me as the smart one on this team just because of the accent. The accent does it all. I tell you. There you go. All right. Hey, look, thanks, man. Hey, if you're listening and you haven't yet checked out Fight Towns, uh, check it out. It's on all Showtime digital platforms. The first episode is up now. It is terrific. Steven Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a treat. Man, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to meeting you guys in person. Thanks again. You bet. Definitely. Thanks, Steven. All right. Thanks again to Steven or Stack, as his friends call him. And we're his friends now, so I will call him Stack. Uh, that, that was fun. A uh, very nice guy with some interesting insights. And I loved, is that a rhetorical question? What a great <laughs> response that was. Yeah, even as, even as it was coming out of my mouth, I'm like, well, that's a dumb question. But there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, time now for the fight game. Uh, you know what? We should have had Steven stick around to guess with you. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe next time. Next time, uh, yeah. Yes. All right, you ready, uh, Kieran, for the fight game? Talking of excuses, I was up until 2.30 or something this morning <laughs> watching fights, so I'm struggling, and that's if I can't get it, that's the only reason why. Okay. <laughs> excuses noted, logged, we move ahead uh, anyway. Ignored. Yes, ignored, yeah. Uh, all right, um, so this is definitely less vague than the usual first clue. I am going to give you some specifics, but it's still almost impossible to get off one clue. This bout paired two fighters who each came in with five losses on their records, and one of the fighters is now in the Hall of Fame. There are some specifics in there, but I would be kind of shocked if you got it off of that. But if you want to take a moment to ponder. It makes me feel it's not a very recent fight. But that's why we have four more clues. So that's... Um, this is a tough one to even like throw a guess out there because it's hard to think of like necessarily two guys who fit the, the description. But uh, yeah, I'll let you... Okay. Do you want to make a guess two. or just move on? Okay. No, right. let's go to clue number two. Okay, all right. Uh, the result was an upset and a dominant upset. The winning fighter led by five, seven, and nine points at the time of the stoppage. So there's a lot of information in there. While you're thinking, mm -hmm. I will I will refresh everything for the listeners well, who are playing along uh, and give you a little time to stall. So they each had five losses on their records. One of them is a Hall of Famer. The result was an upset, and it ended in a stoppage with the winning fighter leading by five, seven, and nine points. Mm hmm. 
And I'll make you feel better by admitting that were I the one receiving the clues, I don't think I'd have any idea at this point. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Should we move on? Should we move on Let's to uh, number three? Move on. I'm yeah. I'm not even close here. At the okay. Moment. All right. Well, n- number three may just deliver it right to you. It may. I'm not sure if this is going to cause it to occur to you. But here we go. The result of this fight and certain controversies surrounding it caused history to look differently upon a fight that took place six months prior. <laughs> Christ. No, really? doesn't help. What? Well, I'll, I'll sneak preview that once I give you the fourth clue, you're going to say, oh, everything falls into place. And you'll know. I... I would be shocked if you don't know it off the fourth. But right now really? you got nothing, huh? I've got nothing at all at the moment. I can't even begin to think what it might be. At all the right, I'm, go- I'm going to give you an unintended clue, which is just that your initial assumption that this took place a long time ago is incorrect. It is a, relative, a relatively recent-ish modern kind of fight. In our lifetimes? Very much in our lifetimes, yes. Two fighters with five losses apiece. One is a Hall of Famer. Dominant upset that ended in a stoppage. And certain controversies surrounding this fight caused history to look differently upon a fight that took place six months prior. Not getting it at all at okay. the moment. All right. This is the lack of sleep. That I'm chalking it up purely to lack of sleep. Unquestionably. Okay. Unquestionably. All right. This one should end it, I would think. Fourth clue here. Both fighters had, both fighters had within the previous 15 months, fought Miguel Cotto. So I was going to think about whether it's whether Shane's involved in this somehow, mostly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're not even going to tell me if Shane Mosley is involved. Uh, sure, I'll, I will. I will confirm that Shane Mosley is one of the fighters. So what? What the? And, fight? and I'll, who, remind, how is it? I'll remind. I'll so remind you that certain controversies surrounding this fight and its result caused history to look differently. Oh, jeez! There it is. God. <laughs> there it is. Oh my God! Of course. Uh, mostly Margarito. Yes. Yes. Of course. It. it I. I told you once. You once you got the fourth clue and and thought it through, it would make all the others fall into place nicely. But I yeah. can see how this fight wouldn't have crossed your mind until the fourth clue, especially if you, if you didn't have the right kind of controversy and history look differently uh, kind of thing in mind. If if that didn't pass through your mind, I thought three might have given it to you, but that fourth definitely. You know what was definite. interesting? The fr- I don't know why, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but that first clue kind of just threw me off mm-hmm. rather than even it, it just I was just really kind of fixated on that and in my mind i was like well, five and this this is a knock on me i'm like two guys with five fights five losses each that's why i thought it was probably like a 1950s type right fight. right and then i thought god who would be a hall of famer at this point I had five losses but yes there you go yeah it was, so it was throwing me off in the wrong direction yeah, yeah okay. i hadn't thought about that when i when i Put that clue out there to start but it, it does make sense that yeah you had to think of it instead of a fighter who had just was just toward the back half of his career and had accumulated five losses but was on yeah. the way to the hall of fame the fifth clue uh the the the, the clue for the dummies uh, as we've uh, <laughs> the fifth clue has become uh would have been this was a sweet result indeed at staples <laughs> center in 2009 although maybe not for javier capatillo Okay. So yeah, really, really spelling it out. These are great. Yeah. Yes. 
goodness. I was even ringside for that fight. I, I, you know, I wasn't sure. I thought maybe maybe you had been, but I wasn't quite sure. Um, no. But no, uh, no, that, that was actually that was a good one. Yeah, I liked that. The, the clues were all very good. In hindsight. <laughs> right. <laughs> in hindsight. Again, I think if you had gotten a full night's sleep, you would have gotten it in one, probably. <laughs> you know what's funny, though? I feel like the last couple that you've given me, I've had this, like, sudden exaltation when I've gotten it. Like, yes. I've been like, nope, 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 nope. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun moment. It's uh, it's about as fun as podcasting gets when Kieran That's realizes right. the answer. That's right. There you go. Okay. All right. right, Let's move on to the news. And the main event this week is not one, not two, not three, but four top women fighters all scheduling or tentatively scheduling their next bouts. Uh, First, a doubleheader that was officially announced February 4th at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden with DAZN carrying it. Amanda Serrano meets Erica Cruz for all the major belts at Featherweight. And in the co-feature, Alicia Baumgartner takes on Elham Mechaled, one weight class up for all the belts at 130 pounds. In addition, ESPN's Michael Rothstein reports that the fighter who recently lost a close decision to Baumgartner, Michaela Mayer, will return and move up to lightweight against Christina Linardatu, date and site to be announced. And Rothstein also reports that strawweight titleist Senecia Estrada will next unify belts with Tina Ruprecht, possibly on March 25th. Uh, Kieran, any of these fights standing out to you? And do you think we could be approaching a point where the apparent willingness of the top women to fight each other and unify all the titles will impact the men's game, that the top male fighters are going to be shamed into keeping up with the women? I mean, that double header is fantastic, of, of course. I don't know anything about Elham Mechaled at all, mm-hmm. but even so, you know, to have Serrano and Baumgartner on that same card. Uh, can you imagine a male card in which the main and co-main are both two undisputed title defenses? Uh, right. Are there even two male undisputed fighters, right? Champions That's a right? good question. No. I'm not sure not that there are. There. there might not be. There have been, and then, of course, it doesn't take long for alphabet shenanigans to... to be involved but um look and of course to some extent that's possible because the relative lack of depth in women's boxing still means that a smaller number of big names can take a larger number of belts but you know you look at serrano and Baumgartner; neither have exactly been handed their titles they've gone about it the the right way um they've had the big fights to get there and look the difference between them and the men's game isn't the willingness of the fighters of course um it's that there's still more money and more risk at stake in the men's game and promoters are still more anxious about losing out on the opportunity for 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 big fights but you know i i think back to when we had uh, uh, our buddy brian campbell on a few weeks ago and he said that he thought that the the new generation of American boxers is much more interested in making these big bouts and these unifications happen and that, that they want to sort of take more control of their careers and sort of tell their promoters to make these things happen. And, you know, Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia is, of course, you know, the, I think the example that he cited and, and it obviously it's a case in point. And it's hard to imagine, you know, boxers know boxes and boxers see what's happening and it's hard to imagine that if, if that is the case, that they're not seeing the massive growth in popularity over just the last couple of years of women's boxing and realizing that, you know, a lot of that is because 
these fights are happening. The big fights are happening. And not only are they happening, they're damn good fights when they yeah. happen. That's the other important yeah. thing. We, we haven't been let down yet by a big women's fight. So, um, yeah, I, whether they're going to shame the, the, the men in, into doing likewise, I don't know. But if they're showing us how it should be done on every level, absolutely, I think. Absolutely. Um, we have some assorted items on our news undercard, and we've got some big names in here. Um, first, Manny Pacquiao has signed a deal with Japanese MMA promoter Ryzen, although the expectation is that these will not be MMA bouts. One hopes not. They will be exhibition boxing matches, probably, against MMA fighters. Uh, speaking of big names and MMA crossovers, uh, Jake Paul has signed a deal with the Professional Fighters League to start fighting an MMA bouts. Uh, it's unclear what this means for his boxing career, as he didn't address that in his statement announcing the deal. A um, couple of sort of possible upcoming fights. It did look as if Virgil Ortiz Jr. would be facing Amantis Stanionis on March 18th, but that's been postponed because Stanionis uh, had to undergo an emergency appendectomy uh, just uh, last week, and we wish him all the very best. Mm -hmm. um, but Bam Rodriguez's next fight is set in San Antonio on April 8th against Christian Gonzalez for a vacant flyweight belt. Um, the only somewhat notable fight to preview this coming weekend is on ESPN on Saturday from Verona, New York, a heavyweight contest between F.A. Ajagba and Stefan Shaw. Is it Stephen Shaw or Stefan Shaw? I think Do you it's know? Stefan. I think it's Stefan. All right. And lastly, a sad note. Hector Roca, a famed Gleason's gym trainer, uh, died at the age of 82. He worked with the likes of Buddy McGirt, Arturo Gatti, and Iran Barkley. And he also trained Hilary Swank for her role in Million Dollar Baby. Eric, what would you like to comment on there? I'll start with Hector Roca. I never met him, I don't believe, but I was at Gleason's once or twice. I know he was a trainer everyone spoke highly of. I guess this probably isn't the time to go on a rant about how Million Dollar Baby has to be the worst Best Picture winner ever. Uh, yes. so I'll, I'll save that. And that wouldn't be Hector Roca's fault uh, anyway. No. Uh, he actually trained a lot of actors for movies. Uh, Usher to play Ray Leonard in the Duran movie, huh. Mich Michelle Rodriguez for her breakout role in Girl Fight, and others. Um, and interesting, I, I never put this together, but he was part of Gaddy's team when Gaddy won his first title. And then when Gaddy had his later career revival, he was trained by Buddy McGirt, mm. a guy who was trained by Roca when he won his first title. Um, so kind of interesting there. Uh, certainly condolences to the Gleason's community and all of Hector Roca's yep. family and friends. As for the heavyweight fight this coming Saturday, this was originally supposed to be a Jogba against Oscar Rivas, but Rivas suffered an eye injury. So in steps Shaw, who was supposed to be on the undercard, this is a decent matchup on paper, especially for a late replacement. Shaw's 18-0, 13 KOs. Doesn't look like a real high-ceiling guy, but this would appear to be a competitive matchup. I do like the Ortiz-Stanionis fight a lot. I hope they are able to reschedule that quickly. The Jake Paul news, uh, I admit I'm actually going to be a little bummed if we don't get to see him take on a legit boxer in a boxing mm. match at least once. I'm kind of assuming this isn't the end of his boxing career, but it could be. It could be. Uh, he could be finding the sport frustrating after what he went through with Tommy mm. Fury and Rockman Jr. And if he can make more money in MMA, I wouldn't fault him for going there and staying there. We'll see. I I'd find it kind of disappointing if, yeah, you know, if, if I'm being honest, if we don't get to see him get his ass kicked just once by a real <laughs> boxer. That's part of what the disappointment would be. Um, and uh, as for the Manny news, look, 
we knew if he didn't win the presidency in the Philippines yeah. that his boxing retirement was tenuous. So if he's going to keep boxing, I approve of him following the Mayweather model, you know, make good money for exhibitions against overmatched opponents. I just hope this isn't leading toward Mayweather Pacquiao too when they're oh 50 God. years old. Yeah. Yeah. Can't rule it out, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, all right, let us finish the show with your top five assignment for next week. Uh, this idea was inspired by our new bestie, Steven Jackson. Uh, <laughs> I asked him who or what drew him into boxing, and he started with Prince Nassim Hamed and his showmanship and ring entrances. So we spin from that into your top five challenge. Kieran, I want you to rank the top five ring enterers uh not to be confused with ring entrances which would be a list of specific single uh, fight entrances this is a list of the fighters who generally over the course of their career did ring entrances the best either they got creative they put on a show they simply had the perfect ring entrance song that got the crowd fired up just something that made their ring entrances overall great or, or memorable and and yes before you ask nasim hamed can be on the list um, okay i think he's kind of a sure shot for any top five but there's yeah. still there's still intrigue over where you'll rank him uh so uh that's it that's the assignment uh, and and maybe also let me know next week what would be your personal ring entrance song if you were a boxer <laughs> Um, it would be, I'll tell you right now, it would be Homer yeah. Simpson's music against Dredrick Tatum. It would be, why can't we be friends? <laughs> Going the pacifist route, huh? All right. Yeah, yeah. of course. We, ask a tough one. Um, I'm glad you said that I can use Hamed, because I'm pretty sure he's in that top five. So now yeah, I have to I think of so. four. Okay. Um, and my sense is this is going to skew very much to the modern, very modern fighter, even, I would think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, think... I don't think Sugar Ray Robinson ever put on a big show of a ring entrance, <laughs> did he? Uh, he was known for like the pink Cadillac and all that, but I don't think he drove it up the up the ramp <laughs> to the ring. So yeah, probably not. Missing a shot, missing a shot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's gonna be interesting. That's a difficult one. I might, I might, um, I might use my lifeline here and ask listeners to chime in. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Because you can do I'm that. sure there's. It's one of those cases where I'm sure there's like some fighter in australia or the uk or germany who maybe i'm not thinking of who is renowned for really good ring entrances and then when i look at them and i'll think oh yeah good point um but yeah all right that's a good tough one and a different one so yeah. there you go i like that okay. all right all right that will do it for this episode of showtime boxing with raskin and any thanks again to stephen jackson for not only a great interview but indirectly coming up with the top five assignment <laughs> and uh do check out fight towns uh you may have seen a preview of it on the pay-per-view card uh it's on all the showtime digital channels as we mentioned check it out on youtube uh it's a great show uh we will be back next week to preview the january 20th showbox card and more until then thank you as always for listening be safe be kind and be well <laughs> <laughs>